Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. One of the most infamous sins in all of the Bible actually took place from someone the Bible actually calls a man after God's own heart. And while many of us pretty much recite what took place with David and Bathsheba, a new controversy has been swirling around, specifically, I guess we would say, in the more progressive views of Christianity, but also in some conservative views viewership as well. And what we want to take a look at is a biblical understanding of what took place when it came to David and whether or not we are going to add to the cover-up adultery and murder charge and also levy a rape charge against King David. So to discuss all of this with me is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel, in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise the Lord, Chad. Looking forward to uh, getting into the text, brother. Yeah, I, I think this one uh, is an interesting one, Joe. And I want to give a little background on why this is kind of trending on Twitter and so so to speak, why people are, I guess, giving their commentary on the subject. And a lot of this stems from a recent sit down with Rachel Den Hollander and Russell Moore. Russell Moore, part of the Southern Baptist and uh, the SBC, and he was a part of the Ethics Committee and so forth. He's been accused of being, um, let's say he's been accused of being tainted by some wokeness, I guess would be the nicest way uh, to describe it. I think on uh, the Reformation, the the I think maybe the 500 and something anniversary, he put a picture of Martin Luther and the Pope, uh, two bobbleheads that he had and said, you know, he's about reconciliation and so forth. Wow. And some people have looked at some of the things and decisions he's made and said, I don't know how much I want to be involved in this guy's ethics. But nonetheless, he sat down with her and they discussed whether or not the charge against David was one not only of murder, not only of adultery, not only of covering up his sin, but also that he, in fact, did rape Bathsheba. And so it has been swirling. The likes of John Piper has come out and seemingly have somewhat of an agreement there. Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, Relevant Magazine, we're seeing a number of people comment and making it seem as though when we look at the charges levied against David, we need to add rape alongside of it, Joe. So I think this is such an important topic for us to discuss because it gives us the ability to not only discuss forgiveness, and which is what we need to be discussing in light of this, what repentance should look like, but also how we start establishing our understandings of doctrine through how we look through scripture. So Joe, with all of that, I mean, this is obviously, I would say, one of the saddest stories, I think, in scripture, you know, when you look back at what took place and, you know, you have Israel promise this king that he's not going to be like Saul, he's going to be like a man after God's own heart. And that's what David would be. And so then you have this epic fail that that takes place in the middle of his life as a king. 
And so, so Joe, this has become an infamous story, a sad one, but also for Christians for 2000 years. And I, I believe a great story of redemption as well. Yeah, absolutely, Chad. I mean, like you mentioned, you uh, kind of gave, gave the litany of David's sins. And the thing is, is when he fell like that, it's emphasized that this was his, his big sin. Uh, yet at the same time, uh, if there was rape involved, it would be, you, you, you don't get a very clear verse that says he raped her. You're supposed to read between the lines or see that's implied because it was power rape based on his position and her being a gal that's powerless and what she's supposed to do in that situation. So she was fully taken advantage of uh, and raped because how could she say no? That's basically what the narrative is right now. And I'm not interested in, uh, you know, trying to defend David of something that the scriptures say he's done uh, because David was, you know, he was not only, you know, he did not only commit at least adultery. He at least took advantage of her because of his position. That had to be some kind of potential influence on her. Do, you, do Does it go to the point of rape and this new terminology of what how rape is now understood in the 21st century? Do we read the 21st century what rape is? Somebody has more authority than the person that they have a relationship with, even if it's considered somewhat consensual, it can now be considered rape. We read that into the biblical narrative. Is that what the Bible defines as rape? So I believe we've got to really look at the text. I'm interested in saying, what does God's word say? As you are, Chad, so our motivation is, you know, if David, if, if all of a sudden we say, wow, that man, if you look at the Hebrew here, it's really clear that he raped her. Uh, we're not going to try to defend. We're, gonna, we, we're biblicists. What does God's word say? We know that David was a rotten sinner at that time. He fell radically from God. He needed redemption. So if that's part of the list, that's part of it. Uh, this is a story of not only man's sin, but there's a lot of words in the Bible. That's one of the evidences that the Bible is the word of God. You read so many of these so-called holy books, you know, from the past. Uh, there's just these strange stories that aren't anywhere near reality. But when you read the biblical narrative, you read about real people, even the heroes of the faith. You read uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith chapter. It's quite amazing because a lot of these people in the Hall of Faith chapter, the Bible records their words. The only real hero is God himself. And he reveals himself to the person of Jesus Christ. So it's interesting when we look at the narrative, uh, I believe there are two extremes. I believe, uh, I, now, as I say this, I'm going to say the text itself is ambiguous. So both extremes may actually have it right, if since we don't know exactly what happened. But to the Bible says not to go beyond what is written. So for me to say, I believe this is what happened, or I believe that's what happened, and then to dig my feet in the ground and then argue about it and divide over it, uh, I believe would be wrong. Because I don't believe the scripture is clear enough, because we don't know all the machinations that were going on through Bathsheba's mind, or, or even David's. We know that David uh, had, you know, fallen to the core. So, of course, he would probably be capable of something like that. He was, I mean, he committed murder. He murdered Uriah. So I think it would be wise, Chad, if we look at yeah, both, let's, let's both read aspects. It, yeah. yeah, I think it'd be good to just read from the text because that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And hopefully you guys have your Bibles. If you guys listen to the Good Fight Radio Show, you should always have your Bibles because that's what we're about here. And when it comes to this specifically, I guess the first place to start is the entire detail that we're given in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I'll just read the first five verses, Joe, and then we'll go from there, because I think that there are some nuggets that we should be touching on, because as Joe mentioned, we're not going to shy away from the warts that Scripture puts in there to see these issues, these problems, the sins uh, that David committed here, because there's a litany. It's not just one. And it says in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11, Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David 
sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. So, Joe, what we have the narrative there of what took place, at least right now, the sin that we can clearly see, without a doubt, you cannot get around, that David committed adultery. So far, that's where we're at. Yeah, at the very least, he committed adultery. Of course, he tried to hide it. Uh, she finds out she's pregnant. You know, she tells him, I'm pregnant. She, she sends to him, I'm pregnant. Uh, he calls Uriah back from the front lines, her husband, who is an awesome man, right? And then he tries to hide it and uh, tells him to go sleep with your wife, go hang out with her. So it looks like he got her pregnant. He refuses because he's such a faithful guy, right? Yeah. And so Uriah, and I, and I think it's important to emphasize that part of the narrative because I think there's a play into it because Uriah is the guy that's what refused to be with his wife. Yeah, I know. We haven't even gotten to there yet, Joe, because we yeah. were just going to read that first part first. Because yeah, I but, think it's But I want to get set that, that up because yeah. in regard okay. to my answer, because when you look at it, Uriah is this man of God who who refuses to be with his wife when he could, when his fellow guys are out there serving Israel. He wants to serve the king. We'll get more into him later, but think of this is the righteous man. And we're going to talk about him later because that's what a lot of the narrative about. However, with regard to John uh, Piper, he actually has a message called Did David Sin with Bathsheba? And it's interesting, he uh, he says for sure that he raped her, you know, not just sinned with her. But, of course, the qu- the question, did David sin with Bathsheba? I think everybody except the liberal who doesn't believe in sin and really good and evil uh, from all this <laughs> construct uh, would, would agree with that. But then he has David raping her. Uh, a Gospel Coalition article I read uh, entitled, Did King David Rape Bathsheba? It declares emphatically, quote, David was a rapist. David was a rapist and a murderer. Well, we know he's a murderer, but was he a rapist? And of course, many feminists have basically reconstructed this whole thing that happened back there. And they called this a power rape and said, hey, you know, this is rape. And we have to look at that because uh, many commentators, uh, you know, I want to look at both extremes. And when I say both extremes, sometimes extremes, there's there's an extreme position is actually correct. Uh, doesn't, but we're going to look at them. And there's another extreme, which I would say, and I'm not saying it didn't happen this way, but I'm saying it's an extreme position, is that she was actually a temptress, that Bathsheba was a seductress, she was a vixen, and she had her sights on David, and that Satan used her to cause King David to fall. And uh, you can read the narrative, and you can say, okay, since it happened this way and that way, this is the conclusion I come to, is that she was a seductress. And is it fair to call her a seductress? Is it any more fair to call her a seductress or any more fair to call David a rapist than her a seductress? And when you look at some of the uh, the commentators, uh, they'll talk about, hey, David was a powerful man. He was the king of Israel. What women wouldn't have wanted to be with him, okay? Women have a sinful nature. Uh, she's bathing in full view of the king's palace 
and he's on the roof. And by the way, it might sound kind of strange that he's on the roof, but you go to Israel today, even today, you, you, you'll drive by and you'll see people barbecuing on the roofs and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, they're flat roofs. They didn't have to worry about snow in southern, the southern part of Israel for the most part. And that's where they hung out often. And David's walking on his roof and she is stark naked, man. And uh, did she not be, was she not concerned about being seen? Now, mind, she knows where the king's palace is. Everybody knew where that palace was. It's a big deal. Does she know David's looking at her? So some would say, hey, she was actually complicit, not in the sense of just consenting when he sent for her, but that she had designs on David. And I think this is an interesting uh, uh, viewpoint. Uh, in fact, it's interesting because Tony, <laughs> I didn't know he was going to pick this for the cover of the show, uh, Gregory Peck's movie in 1951, David and, and, and Bathsheba. But in that movie, uh, Chad, way back in 1951, uh, the narrative basically is that, you know, David has his sights on her and they have a relationship, but it's an adulterous relationship. The attraction is mutual. Uh, in fact, uh, after it's been found out, uh, the, the Israelites want to stone her to death because she's an adulteress. And David plans on getting her, you know, saving her. And he says, no, she's innocent. And then she tells him, David, you know, you know, I, I'm not innocent. I'm blameworthy too. So the movie portrays it that way. Leonard Cohen, very popular song, Hallelujah, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, he mentions David, and he's a Jewish uh, uh, songwriter. And listen, he actually turns her into a seductress. He actually turns her into Delilah in the song. Yep. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. Speaking of David, you saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew her. She tied you to the kitchen chair. She broke your throne and she cut your hair. And from your lips, she drew the hallelujah. So he actually turns her into a seductress. And I have a hard time going that far. Uh, when I preached on this before, I've said, hey, this is a viewpoint uh, that people have had, but I don't go the whole nine yards because we don't know. Now it's very possible. I mean, come on, she's naked before him. Now people say, well, it's her menstrual time of the month and time for cleansing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, women, especially in that culture chat, are incredibly careful about not being seen naked by men. I mean, it was considered a huge thing in that culture. So was she not being diligent or was it very possibly just purely innocent, which is a very possibility too. And you could probably get the narrative from Chad, or where Chad and I come from at this point. There's a lot of ambiguity in this story. So I'm a little bit surprised that people dig their feet in the ground in either position. But I think there's some reasons to think that she wasn't a seductress, that she wasn't a tool of the devil, a temptress, a, 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 a master vixen trying to capture David used by the devil. And I think one of those reasons, Chad, is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when Nathan confronts David. And we read that the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. Now he's given a parable showing David, look at how evil this man is and what he did. So David could see his own sin. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one ewe lamb that he, that he bought, had to, that he had bought. He raised it and grew up with it and with his children and it shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle, because he's got all these sheep and cattle, he refrained from taking them to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, we read, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man 
and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over, which was according to the law of Moses. So he's also got this justice streak running through him, right? Because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now it is interesting here that Uriah is, you know, definitely the guy who's making take advantage of here as far as being ripped off. But she's depicted here, Chad, as a female, an innocent female lamb. Now it doesn't say, you know, this, there's a one-to-one correlation here, but I just think it's interesting. It's also important to understand that David spotted her, David lusted after her, David sent messengers to go and take her, uh, and so forth. So it's really hard to say uh, that that this was uh, this was something that she was trying to do. Now, could Nathan have used that narrative even if she was uh, being a seductress in it? Possibly. Because we know from Jesus' parables, there's not always a one-to-one ratio. There's a major point being made. So you can't press the parable and say for sure she was perfectly innocent in it because she's compared to a lamb there. Because I can show you several of Jesus' parables which make a main point, but you can't press certain points in the parable to every specific thing he's addressing. So at the same time, though, if you're going to lean a certain way at this point, keep in mind there's a lot more to the show. <laughs> Follow this, man, because we're going to take it the other way, too, in a minute. Because uh, we're looking at both sides of the argument, but it's hard from the narrative to say that uh, you don't want to say, you know, well, man, she was just an evil seductress, man. Because guess what? You are then bearing false witness if that's not truly what happened. And if she was caught up in this whole thing, and she's basically the lamb that's being sacrificed and actually depicted as being butchered and eaten by David, and then you're saying, well, she was really a seductress, man. That's I, I want to go that far because I don't go beyond what's written as the Bible says, and I also don't want to pin on her. Uh, something that the Bible doesn't clearly pin on her. Yeah, and I think one of the things that is interesting, because you mentioned the, some of the commentary on this as well, is that when we look back, even on you know when it comes to church history, we like to look at, okay, it's not that church history we then diagram and say, okay, because this guy taught this, we can teach it. But when we look at the Holy Spirit working through the church throughout all these ages, we want to see biblical commentaries where there's somebody out there, at least in agreement, that yeah. loves the Lord. And uh, author Larry Taunton, in fact, he just did a recent teaching in May back on Marxist and biblical interpretation, and he looked through a myriad of commentaries to try to find anyone before uh, 2000 that would even come up with the idea that David had raped, and he didn't find those in like the most of the major commentaries that a lot of people have in their shelves today, which I did find is something that is interesting because it does seem more of a modern interpretation. And here's the thing while we're even getting into this, when we're talking about it, when we're looking at the text, one of the things to kind of understand is that David at no point is made out to be a good guy in any way in all of this. So trying to find more sin that needed to be blotted out by the death of the Messiah is very interesting to me. And it makes me wonder, why are you trying to find more sin? Because what took place was absolutely positively wicked without a doubt. And so I found that very interesting, especially, Joe, like you said, um, we didn't read from it, but verses six through uh, the rest, they talk about specifically the righteousness of Uriah. But I think one of the great places to start is where we started in verse one in all of this is that David wasn't out to battle like he was supposed to be. Yeah. And I think that for for all of us, starting at that place, before we get in even to the, the idea of whose fault was it or whatever, just the understanding that 
if David was in the right place where he was supposed to be as a king, right. then this doesn't take place because she's not there yeah. to be looked at. He's not there to see it. Something you wanted for later. I wanted that for later because we're gonna, <laughs> I wanted to close with, man, the Bible says walk in the spirit. He will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Yeah. And we're kind of getting into the application of this now, which is great, though, because yeah. there'll be some more of this at the end. But, Chad, you're right, because in verse 1, and I think that sets the entire narrative up, it says, in springtime, when kings go out to war, that's when they're supposed to go out to war. David, Uriah went, his men went, but he hung out, you know? He had my idle time on his hand. And before you know it, he's checking Bathsheba out, and he falls into sin. And we are warriors. The Bible says that we're soldiers for Christ, that we don't rest against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, the rules of darkness in this world, that the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pulling down of strongholds. And we're called to be vigilant, be sober. The adversary of the devil walks by the roaring lion, seeks someone to devour. All these scriptures warn us that we're soldiers and we need to be going forward in the fight. So you're absolutely right, Chad. When we're not going forward in the fight and you're not walking the spirit and seeking Jesus, guess what, man? You are a prime target of the enemy, man, because the herd goes forward for Jesus, man. The flock goes forward in the battle, but man, the stray lamb, he becomes a target of the enemy. Stay busy for Jesus, man. No, it's so important, guys. And I, I do think there's uh, it's just a ton of application in that. And I know Joe already went through, and guys, a lot of the narrative that we're talking about here, if you're if you're just tuning in, uh, you can find this in 2 Samuel chapter 11, 12, and 13 yeah. in terms of pieces uh, that we're going to bring out in this. And you already mentioned it showcases Uriah and his righteousness in his w- unwillingness to go. And while he his, his people he knows are at war, he is unwillingness to sleep with his wife. He's like, wait a second, there are people dying out there. I need to be out there too. And David. Could you imagine? Imagine the guilt. David's trying to cover this up, right? There's nothing in this narrative that is like, let's make sure that we whitewash what's going on here. Everything is to showcase over and over again the wickedness of David's sin. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that, Chad, because when we see what Nathan did, the main focus is not the ewe lamb as much as because we're still going to decide as to where she was at and not decide, but give evidences on both sides. And we're going to look at was she raped, though as well. But Chad, as you go through that, it's this man who had one little lamb and he is basically, he's the one that ultimately ends up getting butchered in the end though. That's the thing that isn't paralleled in, in, in the, in the story. It's kind of interesting. And a, a lot of the emphasis there is on Uriah and what happened to him and so forth. So, uh, you know, not that we read in the narrative that, you know, uh, let's, let's go now let's look at whether or not, you know, what, what evidence we've talked about the evidence that, you know, that, that I believe supports that she wasn't a seductress, uh, although we don't know that for sure because the flesh is weak. She is there bathing in David's sight. Now, could she not have stood behind something, guys? Come on, man, or put something up or had uh, some other you know maiden hold something up or been behind anything you know, or taken water inside and washed herself when the king is up there. So and I'm, now it sounds like I'm on both sides. No, what I'm, I think it through and I'm thinking there's a lot of possibilities is where I'm at. There's a lot of ambiguity. So it's, I'm not going to dig my feet in the ground at anything in scripture that I don't clearly see, but I'm going to say, hmm, it could have been this, it could have been that. But Chad, you mentioned chapter 13. Yeah. Why would that be significant? Well, I think it's really significant because we give a we get a detailed description of what David has done. We see the wickedness in all of it. We see him, you are the man. We see right before this, the loss of his child, by That's the right. way. This is serious stuff. God took that child from him. And then when you get to chapter 13, we see the sin of someone else. Yeah. But when we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 13, 
we actually see with Tamar that she is actually raped. Right. That's what the that's what the scriptures actually show us take place without a doubt. And you can't get away from it in the narrative. Yeah, and I think that's clear because it, and the interesting thing is when there's a rape in the scripture, it makes it very very clear. Typically, uh, even in chapter thirty two of, of Genesis, and but it's just interesting. Uh, Asah is using both of them, the Hebrew word, which means to you know take by force, you know, to violate and so forth. And that's used later in chapter 13, but it's not used of David's relationship with Bathsheba. And I wanted Chad to, to, to address that, but which he did. So I think it's also interesting that when Nathan uh, points his bony finger at David over his sin, he says, you have despised the word of the Lord mm-hmm. by doing evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah, the Hittite, uh, with the sword have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him and the sword of the sons of, uh, with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Cause he sent him to the front line because yeah. he wouldn't go be with his wife. He wouldn't go be with her sexually. So David couldn't get away with it and say, Oh, he got her pregnant. So he tries to get him drunk and he still won't do it. So the front line has him killed. Uh, so like, like Chad said, there's so much obvious uh, evil here, but notice Nathan's emphasis is on what he did to Uriah. Chad is my yeah. point. Uh, if, if he raped her and took her by force, uh, she had no way uh, out of it, absolutely no way out. And she didn't, uh, you know, and she wasn't able to show any kind of resistance. Would it say that? And I'm, I'm, well, I'm, we're kind of, in a, in a sense, we're saying, what if? What What about this? What about that? And it's interesting, Chad, because you have other situations as well where Vashti, she she basically rebuffs the emperors. Uh, you know, when you read the book of Esther, man, and guess what? He, it's like, well, David would have killed her and she, David would have had his man butcher her and kill her right there if she didn't comply. Really? Do you think, do, do we read that David would actually go that far? We don't know that for sure. And I know David had fallen in and he done, did something really wicked, even having Uriah killed. But to say that David would have taken her by force and raped her against her will uh, and that there wasn't any consent on to one degree or another or that the consent was basically still made it rape because she consented because of what might have happened to her. It's kind of a jump, and I'll tell you why, uh, that we need to consider this. Consider uh, Potiphar's wife. Potiphar was a man of power. Mm. Uh, Potiphar's wife grabs uh, Joseph by the cloak, right? And now, guess what? He had, he, She says, sleep with me. And she's not letting him go. You sleep with me. Chad, he knows he's in trouble if he doesn't. because. And guess what? He gets in a lot of trouble because he doesn't. Uh, and But he still resists. And now he say, yeah, he's bigger than her. No, he didn't. Beat her up. He resisted by fleeing. Now we can say, well, could Beth achieve of she of fled? That's my point. I'm not saying it's one-to-one ratio. I'm just saying check out this scenario. Because we need to come to the closest approxim- approximation as we can uh, with any biblical stories that we can find to say, okay, what's going on here? And what's interesting here is he does resist, he flees. I'm not saying Bathsheba could resist in the same way. So if you, you hear me say that, uh, but I believe she could have resisted in a certain way, which I'll get to in a minute. I believe a very scriptural way. And I'm not saying she didn't resist in that way. If she did, the narrative is silent on it. But here he resists and doesn't consent and flees, right? Now, you could say, but if she would have done that, she would have been in huge trouble. He did that, and he was in huge trouble. In fact, it ended him up in being falsely accused and put in prison, guys. Okay? Now, what about her, though? How could she have resisted? Well, it's interesting because we read, actually, from the Mosaic Law, Chad, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, and I won't, I won't read it all, but I'll read the pertinent verse, is that if a woman is being raped, okay, uh, she has the obligation, if she's in a town or city, which Bathsheba was, to scream, 
to cry out, okay? And we read, then you shall bring them both. This is the two that are guilty of rape and not only, uh, I'm sorry, not rape, but of consensual uh, sex and adulterous type relationship. Uh, because, And that's because the guy is having relations with another man's wife. And that's because the woman did not cry out. What happens? Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city. And the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Now notice, isn't that interesting? The woman was given the obligation, uh, if she's in the earshot of others, if she's, or just in, the, in a city, now she's supposed to cry out, right? Uh, and then if she doesn't, it looks at, it makes, it portrays it, says, if you don't obey that law, then God's going to consider that as consensual. And you're not going to be able to cry out rape because you gave no resistance uh, whatsoever. And, and that's a clear stipulation for the law of Moses, which demanded stoning. And we can say, but wait a minute, she wasn't stoned later. Well, either was David, okay? There was forgiveness, whether she was complicit or not. Because someone could argue, well, how do we know she didn't cry out? What if she did scream? And they said, you know, you're still coming with us. And she screamed and screamed and screamed. That's, the, that's our point. We don't know. It's not in the text. If we can't draw a conclusion either way is my point. So uh, it's interesting here because neither are clearly, uh, conde- they're, David's condemned for his sin, but he's forgiven. And if she had sinned in the sense of committing adultery, she would have been uh, forgiven as well. Now I want to ask, ask a question, Chad, uh, before we develop this a little further. If, if, if Joseph felt pressure because, wow, if I don't sleep with her, I can end up in prison. She could falsely accuse me, which is what happened. Or I'm going to be killed. I'm going to put to death. And he slept with her. Would would all the feminists be saying that Potiphar's wife raped Joseph? No, I don't think they would. I don't either. (laughs) I don't think they would. So what I am saying is the biasness is coming out, at least with some people, because they want to see any man with power, right? Uh, And and in a relationship with somebody is potentially a rape. But it's interesting as well, Chad, that... uh, uh, we read in Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse twenty-four and twenty-five, some really interesting things about David's relationship with Bathsheba, which doesn't sound like she was imprisoned by a rapist. Uh, after this, Second Samuel twelve twenty-four and twenty-five, then David comforted his wife. This is after Solomon was born, Bathsheba, and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son. I'm saying this is bringing forth Solomon after the birth of their, their their child that died, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. And sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called the name Jedediah. So God's prophet uh, was told by Yahweh, the Lord God, the creator, to send a message that David is to name Solomon, nickname him Jedediah, which means blessing from God. And that was a son that he was given after the other child had died because of the Lord, it says. So he comforted her. It's interesting. And it's interesting that he also honored her. And we read in 1 Kings 1, 28 through 31, then, then King David answered, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, says, I, I swore that by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me. And he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so, will I do this day. Meaning Bathsheba, I'm going to fulfill my oath that I made and bless you. Verse 31, then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, may the Lord, King of da- King David, live forever. You know, 
And I don't believe these words would even be recorded if they were insincere words. And my point here, uh, Chad, is that if we say that she was a seductress and she was purposely trying to seduce him, well, that's a possibility. We go beyond the scripture. If we say that she was raped uh, and that maybe she did cry out or she didn't have to cry out because maybe she didn't know that law or whatever, she just felt the pressure. Well, we do see other people resisting, whether it's from the emperor with Vashti or whether it's uh, uh, Joseph, uh, not, you know, he could have given in because he didn't want the wrath of Potiphar's husband. Uh, we, we can see that she could have resisted and perhaps she did resist in some way. The thing is, we just don't know. So when I read people just dig their feet on the ground on both sides of this issue, I kind of, you know, lovingly, kindly just kind of shake my head saying, mm, we don't know for sure because I don't want to bear false witness and I don't want to call him a rapist and I don't, because he's already, you know, got a lot that he had to deal with and I don't want to call her a temptress and a seductress. So what do I say? I say, you know, I'm, I, we've been peering into kind of a little deep read of the narrative saying, okay, what's going on here? And it's funny because Chad and I, before we sat down to this show, Chad said, hey, I want to do a show on this. We didn't compare notes. We didn't talk about what conclusion we'd come to before we sat down. And just before the show started, we talked and we thought, oh, wow, we came to the same exact conclusion. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's important too. And one of the things is in the book of Romans, Paul is very specific when it comes to the Old Testament, that everything that was written before was written for our strength and our encouragement that we might have hope. And it's one thing to, as Joe mentioned over and over again, to dig your heels on these issues. And I would say, as Joe has already expressed, if I came out and said, Joe, there's no possible way that David raped her, right? And actually she seduced him, no doubt about it in my mind, I got it. Then you could say to me, well, I think this, and I think that look at the power dynamics and so forth. And when he called her, he raped her, right? And both of us would have to say why. And both of it would have to be, well, my opinion is this. And a lot of times, That's right. and we can see from the commentaries at least, that the modern more modern commentary on this all of a sudden has changed because of the outlook on a lot of things. And we don't want to do that either. Not that we don't get inside as, as we grow, but the things that stick out to me when it comes to this narrative is the repentance one. But I find it really interesting because you read that and I was thinking about it. We just had our youth group last night and I got to teach through Psalm 1. And when I read from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9, these words said to David, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? When I read that and I think of Psalm 1 as seen as the Psalm of David, that David wrote when it talks about the man who takes the pleasure in the law of the Lord, in yeah. his word. It was David's delight to write that. It was David's delight and joy to sing those words and to sing the very words that warn us about not being someone that's like the chaff that is broken off in the wind, but being someone that meditates on God's word day and night so that we would be like a tree planted against the water bearing fruit in season, but that we would delight in the law of the Lord. And you look at somebody who in his life at some point is said to have despised mm -hmm. the law of the Lord when he did this evil deed. Yeah. So a lot of times, guys, when we talk about the word of God, you can show just how much it means to you by how much you follow it. Because Amen. when he says, why have you despised the word of the Lord? How has he despised the word of the Lord? How has he hated the very words that God says? By doing evil in his sight. He showed at that moment, not the narrative of his life, because it's interesting when we get the divine commentary on David at the end of his life, he was a man who loved the Lord. 
He was a man that went to go rest with his fathers, but except, and it gives that caveat, yeah. a, a devastating caveat for a man who was after God's own heart, did radical things. That, I mean, just the pictures of the Davidic kingdom and so forth, all of these things. And yet we get that commentary about that. It's heartbreaking, but it's the truth. And yet he's the same one who did delight. He recognized he needed to delight in the law of the Lord, just as we all should. And that's why when we come to any sort of conclusion from scripture, even though the commentaries are great and we can learn from them, and especially, you know, there's some Greek and Hebrew that I love to look at and some guys, but ultimately we need to delight in the law of the Lord. We need to look at his word and say, I'm not going to go to these pendulum swings where I go, oh, I definitely know exactly what's going on there. Or, you know what, 100%, you know, Rachel, we need to have more people like you up there standing up there and telling him when we know David raped her, because I won't take either of those positions, really. Yeah, amen. And and, and neither will I. And, and Chad and I, you know us, we have, we take a lot of strong positions because we see them in scripture, like Jesus is God, you know, it's, it's not ambiguous at all. Uh, but regarding this subject, I think it's important that we learn some spiritual lessons uh, because what's happened is happening here is a lot of people are going back and forth, but they're missing the point of the narrative there is that a man that was after God's own heart, as Chad mentioned, he got his eyes off the Lord, you know, uh, in Psalm one, it talks about how you meditate or to meditate God, God's word day and night. Well, he certainly wasn't up on his rooftop meditating, you know, and, and what are you doing? You know, I, we encourage you. We love you. We, we, we speak to you this way because we love our brothers and sisters uh, that are part of the good fight audience. And, and we're so kindred, but make sure you're walking in the spirit and and that you're meditating on his word day and night. Uh, like it said, when kings in springtime, when kings go out to war, David stayed back. You need to make sure you're involved in the warfare, that you're standing up for Jesus, that you're being a light in this world and meditating on his word day and night. If your Bible remains closed, the longer your Bible remains closed, the more uh, the longer period your heart remains open to sin and to the attacks of the enemy. And what happens is when we get away from God's word, which is called also a mirror, we start to minimize sin, you know? And that's what's happening right now. There are men, and by the way, I do believe that David took advantage of her because of his position, okay? Now, I don't use the word rape because to me, what that does is those women who have truly been raped where they've, a number of guys or even one guy has bludgeoned them and beat them and taken them against their will and forced themselves on her, it minimizes what they go through. When you, when, you, when you empty that word and just say, well, if a guy happens to have a position of power and the woman acquiesced, then it's, a form, then it's rape. You know, it's called power rape. Uh, you know, we got to be careful we don't change uh, the meaning uh, of words. Uh, that doesn't mean that David wouldn't be more accountable uh, than, say, if it was her next door neighbor that had had a relationship with her, saying that, because so, so, what I, I'm saying, the, 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 it's very possible. And my position is kind of in the middle. It's, it's very likely that there was some potential consent on her part. And at the same time, she could have been disagreeable to a degree. I don't know, though, for sure, even that. So I don't even say for sure she consented, but it looks like she may have because we don't read of her screaming out. But then again, I back up and I say, but I don't know for sure. Not sure. So I don't I don't stick my feet in the ground on that. But one thing I don't want to do is minimize sin. So I believe Amen. I believe King David would be more uh, guilt, far more guilty than she would, even if they were complicit in it because of his position, because of his knowledge of of the law of God, because of him having a position like that. So I will say that. And I also say we got to be careful that people that if you're a pastor, a youth pastor, or you're a person in a position uh, whereby people look up to you and they regard your expertise, so-called, or your position or what have you, and then you make designs on that person, even if they're complicit mm, to a degree. Yeah. I do believe that you will have more guilt than person that Amen. is not 
in that position. Uh, because what's happening now, I've seen, uh, you know, pastors, you know, ministers, different people in authority uh, use terms where they minimize sin. Chad, yeah. Where they use terms uh, just mistakes, like, right? Oh, yeah. Inappropriate <laughs> relationship. This is one predator yeah. that was with the gal that was 17 years old. He described it as an inappropriate relationship. Uh, in his, they was in his youth group. Uh, a lapse of judgment, you hear. Moral failing. Uh, sexual incident. I think that same guy oh. used. And affair. When I think of affair, I think of a fair that you go to have a good time. It's not a fair. It's at least adultery here in this situation. And like you said, Chad, a mistake. A mistake is not committing adultery. A mistake is not, murder is not just a mistake, guys. Mistake is when you're the pizza guy and you accidentally put anchovies on the guy's pizza who ordered pepperoni. That's a mistake. This is, this is sin, man. And this is wicked yeah. what David had done. And if you're in a position of authority, you need to call uh, that sin or the temptation. Because what happens, Chad, is pe- there's a lot of people in ministry, and we're all, all Christians are supposed to be in ministry, who are not going forward. They're not uh, putting their hands to the, 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 you know, the plow. They're not going out to spiritual war, right? And what's happening is they're staying out of the word, and they're minimizing sin. So when it's te- they're tempted, it doesn't look as bad because the world's doing it, you see. And uh, God's word warns about that. So, and if you look at David, we don't have time to get into it, but David had suffered some mass repercussions. We can at least talk about his own household. You know, there was yeah. sexual sin in his own household among his children. After that, there was his own son, Absalom. And he didn't deal with, him. by the way, with Tamar and everything happened. He because, didn't deal with it. And why not? Why because of his own it? sin. Because of his own because sin. Of his right, own Chad? sin. Yeah. He became complacent or maybe felt like, well, I've done How this. How can I judge that? And when you fall into sin, it, it's harder to be a father, man. So dads, man, stay away from sin, man, so you can be the best dad you can be. But the neat thing about this whole thing, Chad, is uh, God's grace moves in, man. Amen. Uh, we can only talk like this and because we're saved by Amen. grace. Chad and I are rotten sinners to the core before Jesus changed us and made us new creations. And we still fall short of God's glory. But uh, Psalm 51, Chad, you might yeah. want to read yeah, the first Yeah, I got, three I got it up. I, I, I had it up because it's so important. And I wanted to point that out, too, because we brought that up with Ammon and, and, and Tamar and so forth. Because when you're looking at that too, because you think of, about David not dealing with the sin there. And I remember reading reports and you talked about, and guys, there, this has happened a number of times in the quote unquote Christian churches where you had people that, that had these positions and then utilize those positions to take advantage of women. That happened with Clayton Jennings, a guy who was very popular online, uh, Todd Bentley, uh, who was using this for homosexual adultery as well as otherwise? Who was not a real Christian leader? Not a, these guys. I don't. Yeah. I don't think either of them are. Yeah. And and you, and you have these guys utilizing these positions, and because they make popular videos online or whatever it may be, and then taking those positions to then take advantage of somebody. Could you? I don't want to be within a thousand feet of the judgment coming to them Amen. if they do not repent, because ultimately repentance will lead to salvation. And I think about so and, many and pastors a life. and a fruitful life. And, and sound doctrine. <laughs> yeah, that would help a lot. That would help a lot in stopping this, watching your life and your doctrine. Amen. And 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 it's one of those things, because you mentioned that he wasn't dealing with that sin. Because I remember reading testimonies of pastors that were addicted to pornography and so forth. And you think about that. Of course, how are they addressing the flock that they are supposed to be shepherding these, over these souls? They're supposed to be shepherding over, watching over the souls, according to Hebrews chapter 13. And yet they themselves are inundated and becoming darker and darker by watching this sinful material. So then they either preach against it and are simply hypocritical, which is no good, 
Yeah. Or they don't preach against it at all, and which is with, yeah. and ignore it. And these are huge problems. Yeah. Men are being swallowed up. Women are being swallowed up all the more. Men and women being swallowed up and taken away. And then all of a sudden, I believe when people are enraptured and are just completely inundated with their sin of sexual, sexual sin and so forth, then the doubts come. Oh, and then they get sent off to college. And next thing you know, smoking bong loads, drinking beer bongs, and they're with all their friends and sleeping around. And now, oh, my professor doubted something in Christianity. I have all these doubts. And it's like, you know, take the mask off. And it's like, well, you probably like your sexual sin too. And that's why your doubts are coming. But David did exactly the opposite, Absolutely. right? It wasn't right away, but David did exactly the opposite. When that sin, he made it very clear who he sinned against ultimately even though he did yeah. sin against Uriah. I do believe he did sin against Bathsheba. No matter what, there's some yeah. sort of sin he committed. At the very Bathsheba. least, he took advantage of her because of his position. At the very least. And yet, what does he say? And Psalm 51, by the way, maybe I'm speaking to somebody, you lead youth people or you lead people at church. And Chad, real quickly, yeah. just to set it up, when you read Psalm 51, keep in mind, this was after Nathan the prophet had pointed to him and said, David, look at what this guy did. And David says, that guy's got to be put to death and pay back fourfold and everything else. And he said, thou art the man. It was after that that David finally stopped minimizing what he did and Amen. came to this conclusion. Yeah, the minimizing. And he definitely doesn't minimize in Psalm 51. No. And by the way, <laughs> I, 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 not a shameful plug, just a plug. We're going to be teaching through uh, this, actually, Psalm 51 at an upcoming youth retreat, at a youth camp that we're going to be doing on the East Coast. So if you're from the East Coast, guys, we'd love to have you there. We're going to be in Pennsylvania at Camp Eater, August 15th through the 19th. For ages 14 through 19, we want to have you guys there. Please contact us. We've had a few people donate so that young people could go if they don't know younger people. But if you know someone, guys, this is so important. And we're literally going to be teaching from this on one of the teachings that we do. So this has been burdened on my heart. And I know as somebody uh, counseling young guys uh, that have struggled with pornography and so forth, I always have them memorize this text. Memorize Psalm 51. And if you have a tough time memorizing, go listen to Keith Green's uh, Psalm 51. That might help you a lot. So I'm going to read from it, Joe, and then we can go over it. Wow, the time has been going really quick. All right. <laughs> Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done evil. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire in the innermost being, or you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right or steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Mm. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. 
You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You do your, you do by your favor, do good to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Wow, what a <laughs> what a beautiful uh, prayer. Uh, that's Thank God that's recorded there for us. And it's the things that are clear to us that we need to grab a hold of. And that's, you know, the word of God makes clear that David truly repented. By the way, it's interesting, too, that in the book of Acts, chapter 7, we read again that David was a man after God's own heart. So it's when he lapsed and he rebelled against God's moral law that he became, uh, you know, just a lawbreaker and had blood guiltness on his, on a, he had, you know, guilt of Uriah's blood on his hands and, and the ensuing baby that died as well, you could say, as a result of David's sin and the scarring that would have happened to Bathsheba to whatever degree she was or was not complicit. She would have scars on her heart as well. And, and the stain, not only to his own people, who uh, you know could have got licensed from that in their hearts and minds, and it even says uh, the prophet Nathan said, "You've caused the nations to blaspheme." He was a bad witness to others. And the, in the book of Proverbs, we talk about you know your sin not being a, a, just this black eye for God in the midst of the assembly. That's very important that we make sure we confess our sins and that we get right with God. And Chad, I think it's interesting uh, with regard to the feminists who are saying, "Look, you know." A lot of non-Christians, they hate the Bible. This is a guy in the Bible, while David, King David, man, a man after God's own heart, let's go on the attack. It's like every feminist out there that's pro-abortion and killing babies, everyone that you should know, this is worse than power rape or as bad as power rape at least, right, is you're taking an innocent baby through abortion and millions and millions of these are little innocent girls that you have power over through abortion and you're championing killing these little babies to say that you're free to murder these little babies. They have... Hands that are not your hands when they're in your womb. They have legs that are not your legs. They have a heartbeat that's not your heartbeat. They have a DNA that's not your DNA. They're a separate human being. And if you kill them and, and say, yeah, I have the right to murder this, this well, tumor. No, it's not a tumor. It's a little baby girl or boy. And then you say, look at David, power rape. Well, guess what? You're committing power murder. Okay. So let's get this right. We don't want to make it at all as though, hey, we side with, you know, uh, we're not taking any sides on this issue then other than the biblical side, what the scriptures clearly say. And that, and why I say all this is, guess what? Each and every one of us needs to repent of our sins. We love you no matter who you are. If you're, uh, uh, you know, you're into feminism, you know, or, or you're into liberal theology, and you've seen the title and you're watching this, or you're conservative and you're saying, oh, she was a seductress, it was her or whatever. Whoever you are, we all have sin and it needs to be cleansed. And we all know deep down that we're guilty of sin, that we've broken God's moral law and that we need to be cleansed from it. And notice that David said, blot out my transgressions. The Hebrew word there is translated transgressions in many translations because it means to go over the line, to transgress, uh, to go over God's moral law. In fact, when Paul deals, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 4, that sin is the transgression of God's law. And Paul talks about the sins that David committed are part of God's moral law and that they break the law of God's moral law of love. Romans 13, 9 says, Paul states the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. David did that. You shall not murder. David did that. You shall not steal. David did that. He took Uriah's wife. You shall not covet. He did that. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. When we transgress God's law, we break the law of love and we bring hurt to others and to ourselves. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3, 
and following says, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to, to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress, go over the line, the moral line against uh, uh, against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. So even when it's complicit and there's consent in an adulterous relationship, it's still taking advantage of the other. As the King James says, I think they're defraud the other. You're ripping them off because guess what? They're made in the image of God and they don't belong to you in an adulterous or fornicating relationship because the Lord, it says, is an avenger of all these offenses as we also were previously told, told you and warned, for you, warned you. Now, the good news is this, man. We've all broken God's law. Everyone I'm talking to, everybody listening, we all are doomed without the grace of God. And David threw himself at God's mercy and he received it, not because he deserved it. Grace would not be grace if it was something we could work for or we could deserve. That's the point of Romans chapter four. And it's interesting because David said something very, very profound. He said, purify me with hyssop to the Lord. Purify me with hyssop in the prayer that, that Chad prayed and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Why do you say Purify me with hyssop. What would did David have in mind? Well, in the 10th plague, when God brought the plague upon the Egyptians and the 10th plague, the firstborn of every Egyptian household, firstborn male would be put to death. And also of the Israelites, if they didn't follow through with what God called them to do, God called his children to slay a perfect lamb, male lamb, adult lamb, after five days of inspection, making sure it was pure. Jesus, by the way, is was typified by these, these lambs. And guess what? They were supposed to take hyssop and put the hyssop in the form of a cross, according to the book of Exodus, at the door, on the doorpost and on the lentil, which would form a cross. And then the death angel would see the blood of the lamb and pass over them and not bring death upon them. And we read in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 23, God instructed Moses to dress the children and say to them, quote, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop Dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood in the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go uh, out of your door of your house until morning. When the Lord uh, when the Lord goes through the land, strike down the Egyptians, he says, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and to strike you down. Wow, now that is absolutely amazing. And that's what David is saying. He's saying, Lord, even as you applied the blood of the lamb and protected them from death, you know, because of the, the sacrifice that of those lambs, apply the blood of the lamb to me. Take the hyssop, because David made all kinds of prophecies about the coming Messiah who would give his life for not just David, but for all of the world, right? So we have this amazing hyssop picture here, and we read this in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It says of those who have become Christians, those who have been forgiven of those sins, those who are not condemned to hell anymore because of their sins, because they've recognized they, they've broken God's law and thrown themselves in the mercy of the Lord. And like David said, cleanse me, you know, blot out my transgressions. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, those are called perishable things, that you redeemed. You weren't redeemed by them from your empty way of life. And yes, our way of life was empty before Jesus handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, which is interesting because they inspected Jesus for five days before they crucified him, trying to find sin in him, and they couldn't. Even Pilate, he washed his hands. I don't find any fault in him. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. 
So we bring this back to the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. We can say, praise God, man. A man like David, after God's own heart, who fell into wicked sin, was doesn't become the hero here. The hero is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And what happened to David is a picture of all of us, because all of us have fallen into sin. And your sin sinks to high heaven, just like David's did. You might say, look what he did. And he was even this, and he was even that. Well, guess what? Your sin, man, is an affront to God. My sin, Chad's sin, is an affront to God. I wouldn't want to stand anywhere near me if God was judging me, and I didn't have, I wasn't covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But praise God, those of you who know Jesus Christ and have confessed your sins, the Bible says that if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ is Son cleanses us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it says in that same passage in 1 John chapter 1, he that says he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you're watching this show today and you don't know Jesus, the gig's up, man. You know deep down, you have a conscience. You know deep down that you're a sinner, that there's things you feel guilty about. You can use drugs, you can use entertainment, you can use all kinds of things to mask that reality. But quit calling your sin mistakes. Call your sin, sin. Not because we want to condemn you, but we want you to know that you can be cleansed. And you won't come to Jesus for cleansing until you admit that you've broken God's law, that you've, you've spoken untruths before, you've taken things to one degree or another that don't belong to you. You've put things before God, which is idolatry, which Revelation 28 says, all idol- says idolaters will go to the lake of fire. So we encourage you now in the name of Jesus. He loves you, man, so much that he gave his life to die for you. But you have to, like David, repent and cry out to God and say, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And turn from a wicked way of life and become truly born again through putting your trust in Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.